raising a toast to a new arrival, welcome to Hand of Pod. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the 244th episode of Hand of Pod, and welcome in particular to one boy of the boys and girls there, um, because the Hand of Pod family got a little bit larger about 12 or 13 hours ago. Uh, Joel Jr. is now in the building. Uh, Mr. Richards has, has become a dad. I have a photograph on my phone of him. He's got his father's jawline, we're pleased to pronounce. Um <laughs> So, Joel, if you're listening, then we're raising a glass of wine to you during this evening's recording. Uh, and I'm joined for this recording, not by Andres, he's decided to take a week off, a well-earned one, uh, but by Peter Quates. Peter, welcome Hello. back. Thanks for having me back. Hello. Hello. Congratulations to Joel. Indeed. If he's listening. I doubt he is. <laughs> he's probably got far better things to well, be doing at the moment. You won't be sleeping much over there. No, that's true. Um, we note, by the way, that, that you deliberately timed your return to coincide not with the week after Independiente get thrashed in the Classico, <laughs> but the week after they win, a resounding win against a collection of reserves and small children. But we'll get on to that uh, in a few minutes' time. I'll go through all of the results from the weekend, first of all. They were as follows. Quilmes uh, lost 3-1 at home to Sarmiento. Huracan also lost 3-1 at home to Colón. Atletico de Rafaela lost at home 1-0 to Defensa Justicia. Tigre became the first home team to not lose a match this weekend. Uh, they drew 1-1 with Alba Sibi. Banfield beat Newell's Old Boys in Rosario, so another away win. Godoy Cruz in Mendoza lost at home to Atletico Tucumán. Olimpo in Bahia Blanca lost at home to San Lorenzo. And then we had a home win on Sunday. Union, who beat Rosario Central 2-0 at the same time as Estudiantes and Tacheres were drawing with no goals scored between them in La Plata. Um, also a nil-nil draw, Patronato against Vélez Sarsfield, which I think, uh, I can't remember whether I said it on the podcast, but I certainly said it in my weekend preview, was the match that you should most make most of an effort to avoid, so I'm pleased to have been wrong, uh, correct on that one. Um, Boca Juniors beat Racing 4-2 in La Bombonera in a very entertaining match indeed. Belgrano nil, Tempele nil in Cordoba, Independiente one, River Plate nil in Avellaneda, and then on Monday evening there was a nil-nil draw between Arsenal and San Martín in Sarandí, and a one-nil win for Lanús um, against Gimnasia in Lanús. Peter, I probably don't need to ask, but what was your favourite match of the weekend? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean. I don't know if I can really say to be too positive about Independiente's uh, win. I mean, as you, as you rightly pointed out, it was very much um, a second and youth uh, River eleven. So uh, it's not nothing really to, to brag about. Um, but I, I guess starting with River and Boca ahead of this weekend is probably a wise place to start. Indeed. Um... 
I wanted to uh, talk about Independiente for a minute because one thing that I was sort of genuinely wondering, I'm, I'm not doing this to, to rib you or anything, um, but was that we spoke last week about the effect that the Clásico, um, the Abeshaneda, had the the way that the two teams had, had both performed in that match was, was vastly different. And it, you know, I think that perhaps my interpretation um, of Racing's performance uh, has, has had the lie given to it, let's say, by by the result on Sunday against Boca as well. Um, we'll get onto that in a few minutes. But against Independi- uh, for Independiente, sorry, against River, do you think that the result was the important thing or the performance? I mean, if they played really, really well but hadn't got the win we might very well be talking about Milito being out of a job now, right? Or would we? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think first and foremost the, the result was important, I think, mm. um, with it being at home. And, well, with River's team. Had River put out a first-strength team, then maybe the result wouldn't have been so important. The performance would have taken priority. But against that team, anything other than a win, I think, um. after the Clasico would have spelled trouble for, for Milito. Um as it was, the performance wasn't particularly good against River. No. Um, no. But it was just enough to, to buy Melito some more time, I guess, because of the result. The background to this, for those of you who's, um, whose only contact with Argentine football is, is a weekly listen to Hand of Pod, um, you will remember that last week we were sort of mentioning Andres and I, the, the Copa Argentina semi-finals, um, which were played one of which was played just after we recorded last week. That was Rosario Central's win. And then on Thursday, River won um, their semi-final, which means that it is going to be River against Central, as we predicted, um, in the Copa Argentina final. And that's why River were putting out the the, the kids and the substitutes. Basically. There was one player who made his debut and one player who made his league debut, um, having played a single Copa Argentina game a year and a half previously uh, for River. I can't remember. Oh, um, Yes, I can remember their names. Come on. Franco Lopez, was it? It was the kid who played in the Copa Argentina. can't remember his first name, but I think it's Franco. And uh, the other kid was called Mosha. Something or other Mosha. It's a catchy first name. Uh, he, he, he made his debut and Lopez uh, made his, his league debut. Um, from River's point of view, I, I saw a lot of very angry fans on Twitter, but I don't think that they should really... It doesn't matter that much. And um, the importance of the Copa Argentina, obviously, is, is largely that it's, it's a ticket to the Copa Libertadores. So what we're seeing now um, is a lot of discussion. In fact, I was watching some just before Peter turned up on Day Say about whether or not River should bother putting out a full full strength team this weekend, which is against Boca Juniors. Um, we've seen this uh, dilemma once or twice before already with Marcelo Gachardo in charge of River in the in the Libertadores and in the Sudamericana. Um, no, sorry, no, in the Sudamericana, because when they met in the Libertadores, it was Ramon Diaz, wasn't it, managing? Uh, I think, yeah. Yeah, it was, because Gachado took charge for the second half of 2014. Is that right? Am I mis- no, I'm misremembering the order. They met in the Sud- They met in the two, the two that River won. And I was thinking they met in the 2014 Libertadores, but it wasn't, was it? The pepper spray attack was in the one no, where yeah, it went on yeah, to win. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we've, we've seen this before, where Gachado sort of put out a reserve team against Boca in the league, before full strength teams in the in the Libertadores, but obviously this is a, a reserve team against Boca in the league. But if they do screw it up and get thrashed, then there's no way back to then beat Boca in a more competitive or more meaningful game. It's um, so it's a slightly different dynamic, but it's an interesting question to ask. Yeah, I think um, the fact that it isn't 
like you were saying, the other scenario was when it was like, there was those three games against Boca very quickly, wasn't there? Mm. And I think the fact that this is against Central, any other team this weekend River were playing, it would be a second string team again. Yeah, with it Without being a super classical. I think with it being a super classical, being in the Monumental, and Boca at the moment gathering momentum, I don't think River. <laughs> would want to add anything to that and hand them a super classical win. Yeah, and in fact, I've just checked um, Ole, and they seem to think that there is only going to be one change. Yeah, um, which is Jonathan Maidana coming in. Which is Jonathan Maidana coming back in, as you say. But it's important to note that's not one change from the Independiente game. It's one change from the Copa Argentina semi-final, um, which obviously was a full-strength side. So he's dividing his eggs up between the two baskets let's say um, if any of those starters get, get injured um, ahead of the Copa Argentina then, then that might very well turn out to be a foolish mistake but of course you can't afford to ignore the Super Classico however meaningless it actually is um, so for River disappointing for Independiente aside from the fact that it keeps Milito in a job this this result um how much longer has he got? End of the year? Well, I think, and, and, and did you see anything in the performance to uh, to take any encouragement from no. that? Right. Not from the performance <laughs> itself at all. I think what Melito will need to do is get to the get to the break. Hopefully if, I mean, how was it what, two games before? Or what? I think so. Yeah. I, I think, think there's two more two weekends. If he loses both of those, I think he'll be gone. Mm. <laughs> if he wins both of them, he'll be fine. <laughs> These matches um, in question are against... Uh, can you remember? I'm, I'm Cologne this weekend, away. And I think. then at home to Banfield the weekend. So it's not, not the easiest two fixtures. No. Um, and I think his future hinges on them. I mean, mm. if, if the results aren't too bad, then I don't think he's someone who's... It's not quite. It's the same to previous managers who were disliked from from day one. So he has. He's always yeah. got that in the bank. Um, and I think as a result, the board aren't going aren't as quick as they would have been with certain previous managers. Um, so if he could get with a couple of positive results, get to the to the break, and then maybe reassess the squad, we'll probably go into the second half. With, still with Melito but as I said I think these two games are going to decide whether he's still in charge or not and, and apologies for keeping on Peter but obviously it's, it's been a, a few weeks since we had you here and um, you know you and I have had a few conversations uh, off air as it were about how independent they have been doing but you know I, I wonder whether on behalf of our listeners I could ask you how you've sort of endured really the, the last few weeks because uh, we're talking now about a 1-0 win over River but the, the four results um Prior to that, were two nil-nil draws against Gimnasia and Central, and then two-one defeat to San Lorenzo and a three-nil defeat to Racing. Yeah. Um, they they went from being dull but solid to not even being solid anymore, sort of overnight, and it can't be um, pleasant to watch. No, no, and even when the start of the season they were unbeaten for what, six games mm. or so. Like, um, Still wasn't at any point particularly good performances. Um, and I think the issue's always the issue's been is, is not defensively, but building a team which has a 
form of attack. Yeah. And I think initially what Melito got was a good structure defensively to the team. Not just the back four, but I think with whoever he had, whoever decided to play as the, the holding midfielders, um, guarded the defence and basically built a solid platform to, for, for Independiente to build on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what they were able to do with some success initially, I think, was just hit teams on the break. And all any games that they won were basically via that method, which was defend in numbers and then break quickly through Rigoni. Uh, yeah. um, maybe Benitez used their pace, what quick out ball and <laughs> hit teams on the break. I think as soon as opposition team defence has got wise to that, we've seen Independiente have huge amounts of possession in games and just not know what to do or how to break down a team. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, that's where the problem lies. We see the, the number of goals for a team that are supposedly wanting to challenge for a title. Yeah. Uh, it's embarrassing. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine goals in 12 matches. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're not going <laughs> to... And it, it didn't help. Rigoni got injured or something, didn't he? Or at some no, point? I mean, I think injuries... Uh, he he hasn't really been anyone, someone that's been missing all too often but I think the injury to Leandro Fernandez serious, oh, sorry, that's what I was thinking of yeah. serious knee injury to Fernandez has, has harmed him because I think he was the one striker who had the movement and the pace to, to integrate into the play uh, but he's also a decent finisher Yeah, I think his injury then has, has put Diego Vera as just the lone striker mm. and I don't think it, for all his hard work and decent in decent sort of play with his back to goal and bringing people in he's not someone who's going to score a huge amount of goals no. I, I would say if he scored 10 in a 30 match season would be a fairly good return for Vedder mm. and if he's your main source that's not going to be enough when you think that what Drewis has already scored 12 this season has he? Yeah Vera um, I've just checked in the league he's got 3 goals in 11 matches so far Yeah I um, mean, So he's been an ever present as the main centre forward yeah. uh, And, so, uh, and yeah. you know when you think the only other alternative because Albert Engel obviously has been consistently injured as well for about 18 months mm. the only alternative to Vera has been Dennis and Dennis has been Far from a success. <laughs> Thirty-six or thirty-seven years old. And yeah, and I think it, there's only one. Him. There's only one way to play if he's going to play, which is just throw crosses into the box. Mm. He's not going to get. You're not going to get much else from him. Um, I don't think that really suits Independiente. There's not. The, there's not that many people who are putting in quality balls no. into the box, and it's quite easy to defend again. Price spots, Barco. Uh, yeah, I mean the, the, un, the small child <laughs> undoubtedly been the the bright spot of the of this season. His emergence, um, I do worry about the reliance on a seventeen year old mm-hmm. um, who really should be b- being incorporated into the side quite gradually and in you'd hope learning from those around him instead of being the the player in midfield who seems to be the one driving the team forward and dropping deep to pick the ball up. Um, that's not really what you'd want from him. Um, but I mean, he does look like a great talent, and I hope that they're able to to get that from, get that out of him. Um, and, and the only other sort of person that comes out with any credit really is um, Campagna, who's looked great. 
Yes, in goal. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that tells you a lot about <laughs> Independiente season when the goalkeeper's been great. Absolutely. Um, we'll move on now so you can uh, yeah, breathe a sigh of relief and talk about more enjoyable things such as what was for the neutral and I imagine for Peter and other Independiente fans um, a very entertaining match to watch at La Bombonera where Boca Juniors beat Racing 4-2 um, as I said I said last week that Racing's 3-0 win over Independiente felt like the kind of result that, that could really cement Ricardo Cielinski into the club it, it finally won him the adulation of the fans in some degree um, and it felt like the sort of thing that you know now the team can push on and, and start to feel like his team more um, so some entirely immobile defending for all four of Boca's goals including a quite magnificent own goal to the to open the scoring um, from Insua with a kamikaze diving header into his own net uh, at the end of a quite nice Boca move it has to be said um, was not what we were expecting to see. Uh, Boca were 2-0 up at half-time, 3-0 up like a minute into the second half. Um, and then Lisandro Lopez fought back bravely and scored twice for Racing um, to make it 3-2 and set up an interesting last 15 minutes, which Carlos Tevez then spoiled with 11 minutes to go by putting Boca two goals ahead again. Um, Walter Boo. Bow, uh, interestingly, was the man of the match. The, 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 the two Bow brothers... Um, one playing up front for Boca, the other playing up front for Racing, and obviously Gustavo, who is Racing's bow, um, is I think it's still fair to say is, is by and large the the better player, um, certainly the more heralded player. Um, but Walter stepped out of his shadow um, to score twice either side of half time, and it it feels like Boca are looking sharp now. I mean, having ground out results for a lot of the first half of the season, they've now had a few games in a row where they've they've actually looked good as well as just getting the result. Fernando Gago back in the midfield mm. looked excellent. I have to say, in my opinion, Boca's midfield has started to tick over nicely in the last few games anyway without him, and he's slotted in very nicely. Uh, but he was superb on Sunday. Um, and they're starting to look like a team who, who can go all the way in a title push, especially, uh, this isn't a dig at Boca fans, but with no Libertadores to worry about in the new year. Um, there is no reason at all that they, they need to feel distracted. They, uh, they've got to be pushing for the Primera for me. Yeah, I, I would probably... We'll see what happens, obviously, two games ago before the break. But at this point, even just a couple of points behind the Estudiantes, I'd probably make them favourites mm. with the resources they have available. And you say with no distractions in the second second half of the season. Um, you know, Benedetto was missing against Dressing. And yeah. You know, that's their first choice number nine as you said Walter Bo comes in and it was superb um, Gagos missed nearly the entire first half of the season he's come straight back into the side and produced two wonderful performances against San Lorenzo and uh, against Racing um, and they just have a lot of options you know and you look at someone like Jonathan Silva just on the bench as at left back yeah, I think that Silva for me is a notable downgrade on on Frank Fabra. No, I said a lot, but I mean as, as a. But you're quite right in that. Yeah, I mean he's he's by no means a, a as, slouch. And it's some someone who they spent quite decent money to bring him yeah. back. Or the same with um, Axel Werner in goal. Mm-hmm. And again, they bring spend money to bring him back, and then he just sits on the bench. But there's a strength there that most other teams in the Primera don't have. 
Um, and certainly, I think when you look at if you look at title rivals like Estudiantes, you'd look yeah. at them and say, well, do they can they say the same if they lost key players to their first eleven? Probably not. Indeed. Um, for Racing, a great performance followed by complete chaos, and, and when does it leave them? Um, it leaves them. I will tell you in sixth I mean not out of the title running but six position sorry five positions and six points behind Estudiantes at the top of the table and it's got to be a bit of a blow to their confidence I mean they were looking starting to look happy with Cielinski at last as I say and, and, and then that kind of showing you sort of think right I mean first of all where does it come from because the defending on all of the goals was I mean wasn't just bad defending it was surreally um, awful it, it, just standing there especially for Bowles first was probably the, the favourite one for me he just picks the ball up almost on the penalty spot and three yeah. Racing defenders the nearest one standing about four yards away but his, second, his second as well was absolutely dreadful yeah. I mean, ball in the penalty area which yeah, was yeah. All, like, I think they were um, sort of appealing Orion had his hands up when it went in thinking please be offside because <laughs> there was that much space even though he was only seven six yards out from now yeah yeah but I mean saying that, I just think Independiente made wrestling look far better than they were the week before I think Independiente's mm. performance was so bad that personally didn't think wrestling had to do a great deal to win 3-0 I mean that's how it wasn't for me. I'm watching it. wasn't a performance where I thought fair play. Racing have just been absolutely sensational. I, I put it more down to Independiente, and, and I think also Racing's strength this season has basically been at home. The yeah. away record's been pretty awful. Um, I'm gonna bring that up now to uh, disprove you if you're wrong about this, Peter. <laughs> well, embarrass you, right? <laughs> uh, but in fact, I won't be doing it because you're quite right. They've lost three matches this season and all of those three matches have been away um, in fact away is oh no sorry they, they dropped uh, they drew a couple in their first two home games of course but since then they have only dropped points away from home yeah I think they're like 14, um, 15 14 unbeaten yeah. at home four without a win with one draw and three defeats away yeah so it's it's not quite up to the standard of uh, what we were commenting on the difference between Boca's home and away records a few short weeks ago when Boca had that nearly nine month run without a win, um, but it is still pretty indicative, as you say, that they they have much more of a problem on the road than they do. And Cielinski felt like the kind of manager who could change that. I mean, with Belgrano, he managed to fashion a, a team who were very adept at you know a lot of the time it was a draw, which maybe is not what Rassinger are looking for um, but they were they were a decent team on the road um, yeah I mean I think that's always the it's the difficulty with the the grandes choosing manager I think in yeah. Argentina um, and if you don't have like a Gachado someone young who's got an affiliation with the club and you can bring a sort of modern style of football it's often difficult to get someone from one of the without sounding patronising one of the lesser clubs in Argentina mm. Um, because it's very difficult to come in with that different mentality where you say like Belgrano can go away to most teams in the Primera and a draw is like, yeah it's not bad and come back to call them around win matches and then you know sit in that little group just below challenging for the Primera yeah great season it's not possible with one of the grandes it's not no 
Um, we shall complete our Big Five roundup with a look at San Lorenzo's win over Olimpo, which I suspect is going to be a fairly brief look. Did you catch it? I saw the second half. Tell me about it. I watched it and I can't really remember very much. Oh, I thought so. Olimpo had made a very good fist of things and San Lorenzo had to work bloody hard to uh, to, to uh, get all three points. Um, oh, I remember Blandy's goal. Is ahead, don't you? Yeah. But I mean, they were sort of hanging on a bit towards the end, San Lorenzo. I mean, mm. Olimpo are obviously a lot better in Bahia Blanca than they are on the road. Um, and it showed, you know, quite a physical team. And it, I think it was one which, at full time, San Lorenzo would have been pretty pleased to, to get out of there with the three points and sort of get their challenge back on track after a pretty disappointing end to the year. When they were for one, for one uh, you know, one minute eyeing a possible cup double yeah. <laughs> um, and near the top of the league and now their league form suffered out of both cups and having to now catch up with the Estudiantes and Boca Absolutely, that match did feature the um, uh, most tear-jerking um, tribute to Chapecoense off the weekend, possibly in world football because uh, San Lorenzo you will recall, were the team who lost the Copa Sudamericana semi-final to Chapecoense a week before the... Well, not even a week, five days before the crash. Um, and they ran out in these shirts they had swapped with the Chapecoense squad um, after the second leg, which was a very uh, moving tribute. They didn't play in those shirts, they played in their own shirts, but they ran out with Chapecoense shirts over theirs. Um, that's really, though, all that we have to say about that game because it, it's a bit of a sort of weird situation because... You know, as you said, a few weeks ago, that would have been San Lorenzo might have been looking at going top of the table with a win there. Um, as it is, they pulled themselves back up to third place, but they're still three points behind Estudiantes. Um, and the other big result in terms of the the title race, well, actually, there are there are two particularly big results in terms of the title race. One was that Newell's Old Boys um, have, have remained level on points with San Lorenzo. Uh, yes, sorry, have only remained level on, on points with San Lorenzo um, because they got beaten two 0 deservedly so as well by Banfield who became the first team to beat Estudiantes in the league this season 3-2 the previous weekend and then went away to Newell's and you were like well they're not going to do those two back to back are they and they have um, where the fuck have Banfield come from I mean they're not in the title race themselves but that's a bloody impressive pair of results back to back yeah I mean previously as well the, the form this season has been based at home yeah. and he, even then it looked like a stretch that they were going to beat Estudiantes at home but if they were going to do it it was going to be on their own patch mm. following that you thought alright well in Rosario it's probably where it's going to come to an end but as you said they deservedly ran out winning um, and hats off to Falcione the beeping horns that you heard there are clearly some kind of tribute to Julio Cesar Falcione um and as Peter says, I mean, Banfield began the season with a 4-1 defeat away to River, and that was after that we were all thinking, well, River are definitely title contenders here, and obviously since then they've fallen off. I'm also um, thinking Banfield looking real trouble, because they were but, shocking in the yeah. um, transition. Yeah, so to yeah. start that exactly. with a 4-1 defeat where they looked awful, I, I was thinking, oh, it's going to be a long season for Banfield. They, they backed that up with four four games without a defeat, so two draws and, and, and two wins. Um but those were against, I mean, the wins were against Aldo Civi and San Martin, so nothing especially sort of impressive. Then they lost to Defensa Justicia and Patronato 
in the space of three matches. And since that defeat to Patronato, they were on a four-match unbeaten run. They, they drew with Atletico de Rafaela, who were terrible, thrashed Arsenal, who were also terrible. And so you were still then thinking, well, you know, they're going to pick up enough points to stay above the, the Plimsoll line, as it were, above, uh, above the waterline. Um, but then they've got no chance of getting results against the Estudiantes and Newells. Six points from six match uh, from two matches against the Estudiantes and Newells. It's remarkable. And they've got Huracan at home coming up now, which, given how bad Huracan had been... Oh, yeah, you'd have to put that as a banger you know, at home. And then Independiente on the, in the last game of yeah. the year, assuming that we're correct about there being two league matches left. Yeah. Um, and it's funny as well, because I seem to recall maybe I was on at the start of the season hmm. saying the problem issues with Banfield and a reliance on sort of players that had seen better days namely yeah. Santiago Silva and, and Walter Aditi who's yeah, brilliant in these last two games <laughs> both have been superb yeah. indeed um, from Newell's point of view where it affects the title race of course is that as we say those three points dropped mean that Newell's are now only level with San Lorenzo I will go into the, the full standings in, in a few minutes um, they, they, they should be able to pick themselves up but they have a very tricky next game away to Tacheres and this segues into the final uh, title contenders that we're going to be talking about this evening who are Estudiantes the team who lead the league still but have dropped five points in the last two games first defeat of the season in the league because um, obviously they lost in the Copa Sudamericana at the start of the season or a few weeks after the start of the season um so first defeat of the season uh, in the league against Banfield and now nil-nil draw at home to Tacheres on the one hand Santiago Ascasibar comes back and Estudiantes keep another clean sheet Ascasibar you will remember has missed one game so far this league season and it was that defeat against Banfield the only game that they've lost um, so at the age of he's 18 isn't he 17 I think 19 yeah. something like that um but at a very tender age, he's clearly quite a key player mm. to the base of Estudiantes' defence. Um, and the game against Tacheres was a funny one. I didn't, it wasn't that exciting, but it was really interesting. And I, I was particularly impressed again by Tacheres, who now are on a six-game unbeaten run. Um, I think it's six games. I think it's seven unbeaten. They haven't conceded a goal in six. Because oh, that's right. Because they won five in a row, didn't they? And then they've drawn, drawn against two now, the bottom nil, nil. team and the top team yeah. in consecutive weeks, nil-nil. Um, Arsenal followed by Estudiantes. Um, it's a wonderful run for Tacheres, but Estudiantes, can they pick themselves up from from here? The games that they've got coming up, again, before the end of the year, um, are away to San Martín, at home to Defensa Justicia. Now, normally, you'd look at both of those and go, yeah, a team of Estudiantes quality should be winning those handily. They'll, they'll be top of the league at the end of the year. But given the last two results they've had, does some doubt start creeping in? Perhaps. I would still back them in both of those cases um, you know I, 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 Estudiantes are a, a sort of strange one because I think they're they're sort of very functional aren't they they sort of, Nelson Rivas has a has his starting 11 they've not really had many injuries to contend with and everyone knows their jobs first and foremost seems to be when they don't have the ball everyone knows what what they should be doing and it, yeah. it's all very structured and as a result I don't seem to watch I don't watch Estudiantes very often and think yeah oh, this is a joy mm. to watch but they're impressively 
consistent yeah. for an art, especially for an artist. Yeah, no, exactly. No, that's not a criticism at all. Mm. Ones they are extremely functional. Um, so in that sense, I don't, I don't see the wheels suddenly falling off. It was just one of those things that came up against the Tashera side, who themselves have, have proved themselves to be very difficult to break down. I mean, six games without conceding a goal, phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and in the second half, when Estudiantes did sort of crank it up a little bit, and perhaps could have could have nicked it, just couldn't find couldn't find the goal. But I would expect them to bounce back against um, San Martin. It's interesting as well. I've just been looking while you were talking at the number of appearances that each of Estudiantes' team has made um, in the league so far this season. And you know, you sort of hinted earlier you, when you were talking about Boca, you implied that Estudiantes had less of a a less deep squad, let's say. Um, they've got nine players who are into double figures already in appearances for, yeah, yeah. for this season, um, which does suggest that beyond their first 11, they're not rotating a hell of a lot. They, they, they've got some alternatives, but there aren't very many. And I mean, as we say, the Ascaciba is probably the best example of a very, very young player, a very, very, very good um, young player, it has to be said, but somebody who at that age is... is clearly pretty important to the team yeah um, and everything you hear out of the club is the same I mean every player when they talk about Askasivat can't speak highly enough about him yeah. about his influence on on the team and yeah, I think I said at the time when they mid losing to Banfield that maybe it is reading too much into it but it didn't seem like that much of a coincidence that yeah. in the game that he was suspended or injured um Erviti suddenly found this huge pocket of space just in yeah, that little exactly gap. Exactly the point that he normally um, felt. Yeah, and, and sort of ran right. Um, so, you know, we'll see in the second half of the season if they can maintain a title challenge if the worst happened and they lost someone like him for months. With the Libertadores to worry about as well, of course. Um, although, they will, of course, be gaining at least one midfielder in the new year because Seba Veron, the club president is going to be coming back which could have all sorts of effects on the one hand you think well how does the manager drop his own boss from the, the starting 11 that's going to cause an interesting dynamic in the changing room um, but on the other I mean if, if Baron decides to say you know I'm your boss off the pitch but you're my boss on the pitch and I'm not going to allow the two to ever happen if he decides to, to put his player's head on when he's playing um, he, with the brain that he's got the, the footballing brain that he always had if he's still got any of that ability, then yeah, I mean, it, I, I would could he could be a useful rotation option. I'm not going to say he's going to come into the midfield. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'd, I would be surprised if he comes in and has that kind of impact. I think he'll know his own limitations, having had the time out and his age. He doesn't strike me as a sort of person that would be in any way sort of deeverish. I'm no. the president of the club, so I've got to fucking play. Um, and I, and I think we would see him more in that role where this would be what we've seen in the first half of the season unless anyone else comes in in mm. terms of signings is going to be what their first choice 11 will be and Beron can come in and as you say do a, quite a handy role um, especially given the Libertadores commitments they'll have to strengthen over the summer obviously but uh, how much they do that is, is, is going to be um, and then how much of a uh, priority they decide to give the Libertadores compared with the league is, is going to 
I suspect play a big part in how the title race goes for everybody really um, in the new year of course another thing that, that we'll, we'll talk about in more depth when the time comes to it but is the fact that the Libertadores is year long so they've not got the entire competition to try and fit into one six month period and that, that's going to make a difference as well compared with previous campaigns let's move on to the relegation table check how long we've been recording yeah we've got a few minutes to talk about relegation still um, the bottom four in the relegation table I will go over the championship standings in detail don't worry um, but those bottom four in the relegation table at the moment are Atletico de Rafaela and Tempele who both have fewer than one point under one point per game at the moment Samiento and Olimpo are the um, 28th and 27th side so at the moment those are the four teams going down but only just above uh, Huracan you've got Arsenal Aldo Civi, Quilmes. And I'm trying to look through and sort of think the relegation um, dogfights, let's say, that we had over the weekend. The one that stands out for me is Atletico de Rafael against Defensa Justicia, which was a 1 0 win for Defensa Justicia. And it's just pushed Defensa a little bit above that sort of group of teams um, that I was just mentioning. It's a damaging win that for Rafaela. Exactly. I mean, I mean for, for Atletico de Rafaela, it, 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 they've been doomed for since the start of the season, really, because they're just terrible. Um, for Defensa, they did show a bit of fight at the start of the season. When I thought, oh, hang on a second, they they seem a little bit more stable, but, but they they're not such winning a enough. Huge <laughs> mountain to climb. Yeah, exactly. As well. That's the other thing. Even from the start of the year, um, was Defensa, I mean, and as well. We have to just go back very briefly and mention Tacheres, who with a point against the Estudiantes, they're now on 19 points from 12 games. Um, I strongly suspect, looking at the way that this table's going so far, the results that these teams are getting so far, that 1.1 points per game um, is going to be enough for survival. Now, if that's the case, then Tacheres, who are the only team in the division, of course, who are only dividing by a single season, um, are going to need 33 points to stay up um, over 30 matches. They've got 19 already. They're, and that's in spite of the fact that they couldn't win. They didn't win any of their first five oh, matches. Yeah. So the run that they've had since has, has been fantastic. They've managed to pick up points against Estudiantes. Yeah, I'd be absolutely astonished um, to see them sucked into it. I would think... A couple more wins, and, and they're going to be virtually safe if they can pick those wins up relatively soon. It's not going to be too easy because, of course, they've got, I think it's Newell's uh, this coming weekend. So, uh, again, just like Banfield, you're thinking, well, can they get a result against those two two weeks running? And we'll find out. Um, at the moment, you wouldn't necessarily bet against Tacheres to do that. No. And then away to Huracan on the last weekend of the season. I mean, that's a, 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 the last weekend of the year, sorry. Um, direct relegation rivals because Huracan are. One one position above the drop zone, and um, another of the clubs to change managers this week. Indeed, oh, you're quite right. Yeah, we've had two managerial changes. Yeah. Um, tell us about them, Peter. I'm bored um, of the sound of my own voice. Well, yeah, if you can remember, well, again, lost. Uh, who did they lose to at the weekend? I'm sorry, I'll bring the results up. Yes, it'll make it easy for you. Won't it? Uh, they lost to Colón three. Right. So then, in the aftermath of that. Caruso kind of said, I'm not sure if I'm going to survive. Uh, and he didn't. Um, and the other managerial change uh, was, was it Olimpo? Yeah, Christian Diaz left, yeah. Um, and he left not because of results, apparently. He left, and not because he wanted to, but he did resign. Um, 
he left because of the influence of the Badra Brava at the club. Yeah. He was complaining and saying that the Badra um, have been trying to uh, get Olimpo to lose for some time and that they've, they're succeeding. Um, they're joining in training sessions and messing about and smoking weed while the players are trying to train on the pitch. Making him smoke weed as well. Yeah, apparently. Um, I couldn't quite work out whether he meant they were sort of obliging him to passively smoke because they were smoking so much yeah, yeah, yeah. or whether they actually meant that whether he meant that they were forcing him to that it was you know obviously we're not native speakers and so I wasn't quite sure whether what the implication was there but um, yeah clearly as, as we've said many times on Hand of Pod um, a, a malign influence on the club and they've got their wish which is that Diaz is out uh, interestingly just to take it back to Independiente again the fans there and you suspect the Barra had something to do with it um, very supportive of Milito and very clear particularly before the game against River and particularly during the minute's silence for Chapicoense which wasn't very silent um, that they blamed the players and not the manager Yeah, which, which I think goes of, back to what you were saying yeah, exactly, about how yeah. Milito's going to get more um, patience from Independiente's fans than a lot of other managers would get yeah for sure if you think the performances and the results of recent weeks have been under the prior, the previous managers, hmm. those those shouts from the stands would have been very, very different. Um, but no, I'm on the managerial changes. Um, yeah, I think it's over half, isn't it? Now the 30 teams that have changed managers. I think it's 13 managers, right? But in 12 weeks, it, so it's yeah. more than the, the number of, of matches that we've had. And I think I, I think I worked out that only Kilmer in the bottom 10 of the descensor. Oh, that's right, you tweeted this, yeah, cool. I think Kilmer's the only side, the bottom ten teams of the Descensor that haven't changed managers at some point this season. Yeah, just looking up there, I think they might be right, yeah. Um, Which obviously goes yeah. to show all of them desperately trying to see what they can do to survive. I mean, in a lot of cases, I don't think it's going to make a blind bit of difference. But no. um should probably note that San Miento, um, since... Three games ago, bought in um, Bruchaga. Oh, they did. All right, yeah. And it, since then, he's he's got seven points from nine games, which is surprising. Because <laughs> they were another team that looked absolutely dead and gone, and yeah, suddenly think, oh, yeah, hang quite on a second. right. Three games unbeaten, and not all against other relegation rivals, and therefore teams who are similarly awful either. I mean, they've, they've beaten Belgrano, who admittedly are quite bad this season. Uh, but away from home, um, a draw away to Godoy, at home to Godoy Cruz, and then a, a win away to Quilmes, which sounds with, fairly with average. With ten men as well. Yeah, which sounds fairly average until you bear in mind that the only previous win that they had all season was on the first weekend of the season, and it was against Arsenal, so it doesn't really count because they're terrible. Um, so well done, Sarmiento, for stepping things up. On, now they've got their third manager of the season, although we're including the caretaker manager who was only in charge for one game there um, we're going to take a break now and pour some more wine into our glasses um, and when we come back we shall answer some listeners questions and see whether we've forgotten to mention anything else so far so don't go away
welcome back. Um, we are going to answer some listeners' questions in just a minute, but first of all, we're going to uh, discuss the for a few minutes the the Super Classico um, this weekend. River Plate host Boca Juniors. You will notice that we've gone a little bit less big on our Classico previews recently on Hand of Pod because basically because we've already done loads of them in six years and um, you sort of run out of stuff to say after a while. Um, this and then one, they as we said, end up being awful. <laughs> yes, exactly. Plus, the match always ends up being terrible. And you sort of think, well, why are we going to preview it for half an hour when it's going to be an awful game? Um, this one, as we said earlier, there's a little bit of extra intrigue in that it's it's a bit tricky to try and second guess what Marcelo Gachardo is going to do with Rivers' team and therefore how much they really care about it. But I think particularly at home, in front of Rivers' own fans, he can't really put out a, a fully second string side. Um, and we have just, during the break, managed to um, research a little bit because Peter has, has come out with um, a quite unfortunate pattern in recent Super Classicos for Fernando Gago. Yeah, well, I mean, given that his performance against Racing last week, um, there's been a lot of very positive stuff around Gago and Boca fans coming out saying, as you pointed out, you've sort of felt that midfield had already started to take shape, but a lot of people have now been saying, oh, now Gago's made this incredible difference. Mm. So it's a good time for, to go into this Superclassico, and you look back at Gago in previous Superclassicos, and his two two prior, or was it two of the last three? Three of the last four, I think we said. Well, he's had very bad luck. Yeah, there's the, and, the yeah. first one being... His, two of his last three. His handball which wasn't a handball, but gifted at River a penalty. Which they then missed, but uh, Gago got sent off as well, and that, that was the 1-1, which was in the pouring rain um, in 2014. And, and then, then, if his luck could have got any worse from that, two prior, um, in both cases he ended up rupturing his Achilles tendon. Mm. and yeah, up, Was quite close to, I think, calling it a day in his career after the second one. Yeah. I mean, by his own words, he kind sure. of said, I wasn't sure if I was going to come through it all again. Like, the so second one is the injury he's just come back from. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about that second one being in April of this year, mm. and that was not long after he'd come back from one, which happened after about 30 seconds in a Super Classico at the end, in September of 2015. So yeah. this is a guy who probably doesn't enjoy Super Classico uh, <laughs> match day quite as much as some players do. No, and uh, with the game being at the Monumental as well, where the first of those Achilles injuries happened and where that handball that wasn't a handball happened, um, it'll be interesting to see the look on his face when he runs out and see whether he's uh, fully in the zone for it, as it were. Um, I think it's unfortunate as well for Gago, because I think his his reputation largely based around his injuries. and, and Absolutely, and yeah, yeah. Particularly um, that first one, because it was... Under no challenge, it was after 30 seconds of a Super Classico, he just suddenly fell to the floor yeah. and then was out for seven months. That portrayal of him as being this sort of very fragile figure, I think, does have a very negative... Like, he gets a lot of hatred directed mm. at him based on that. And when, I, when actually he's actually a very, very good footballer. Um, and may, that may be also because he hasn't quite produced it for the national team and didn't live up to the promise of when he was younger um, but I do think that his injury record has played a lot to do with that and I think it's unfortunate because we saw last weekend when he is with it 
and fit. He's wonderful to watch. Yeah, indeed. Um, from the, let's say, from your relatively neutral point of view, Peter, and assuming that, as the reports seem to indicate, the River are going to field something very close to a full-strength side, um, how do you see the game going? I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, my opinion is always going to be slightly biased by the fact that I'm a, a River sympathiser. Um, you've got a more neutral outlook as a second. Yeah. So. I mean, Boca certainly come into it in the better form in the league. Um, River, whether they, whether your shadow picks a first team or not, do have an eye on a major final in less than a week. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Copa Argentina itself may not still be considered a major final, but it's critically, critically a, a route into the Libertadores. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think that does that's going to have an impact. Um, but then again, it's a super classico, or it's a major classico in Argentina, and these things are never quite the games that you want them to be. So are Boca going to turn up and do what they did against Racing? Doubtful. <laughs> um, okay. So I, I think it will be typically edgy stuff with some rather meaty challenges thrown in I mean I'm hopeful this one could be better because we're looking at two of the teams that have scored if not then maybe not the two most highest scoring attacks Boca, but Boca the highest scoring team in the division in fact and River um, have the highest scorer in the league Boca league. scored let's see 27 goals in two no two is their position they've played more than two games Boca have scored 27 goals in 12 matches that's more like it and River have scored 18 in 12 matches. They've dried up a little bit in the last few weeks, but um, a few weeks ago, River were the top-scoring team in the league. And they do have um, the individual top scorer in the league. They do, yes. Yeah. Sebastián Andriussi, who's on, is it eight for the season? Yeah, Something like I'm not that? sure. In the, just in the league, I'm not sure. There is the potential for goals, anyway. Yeah, for that reason, I'm I'm hopeful that we'll, we'll see something a bit different, but I'm not going to get too excited because invariably you get excited about a Clasico in Argentina and then it's two midfield battering each other <laughs> for Indeed. 90 minutes uh, weather wise as well I think that might come into it because we are getting into the point now where um, we're having cold showers by choice here in Buenos Aires uh, it's going to be 24 degrees on Sunday it's at 10 o'clock in the morning um, at match kickoff time it's going to be 28 that's a uh, Probably, given that I'm looking on the very quick Windows weather widget, it seems to be a slightly um, conservative forecast compared with how the conditions actually feel down here in Buenos Aires a lot of the time. Um, I heard it this weekend. It's, it's going to be bloody hot. Yeah. So. <laughs> so tomorrow, I think, it's meant to be at 37. Yeah. And then it's going to be slightly cooler than that over the weekend. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's going to be um, muggy. And it's difficult not to suspect sometimes that that kind of thing can play into... Um, how the game ends up going because the game's kicking off it's, it's 5 o'clock in the afternoon as well so it's not sort of yes, the, the very middle of the day but it's um, as close to the middle of the day as they're allowed to kick off at this time of year um, is it, I, I can't remember the last Super Classico in December it's a relatively sort of late in the year for it to be obviously partly it's because of the um, the earlier delay uh, to the, the, the season kicking off but even then it would have been the first weekend in December it would have um, would have been played so anyway that's just by the by. Um, what else? Oh yeah, listeners' questions. Ha, you've sent some in. Here we go. Timoteo Cobertiso says, 
I made a rather arbitrary decision to support Racing. What have I got myself into? I'm not the person to answer that. I think it's fair to say, though. I mean, having had this kind of question before, when we have had uh, our uh, tamed Racing fans sever and down on, um, that both of them would say that you've let yourself in for a lifetime of misery, punctuated by very occasional uh, glorious ecstasy, roughly once every well, in Dan's case, it's once every decade. In Seba's case, it's a couple of times in the last decade, but prior to that, never in his life. Um, so you never know. But, I mean, uh, if, yeah. you, if you're talking about arbitrary decisions of, of all the clubs that you could pick, there's a hell of a lot worse. <laughs> I mean, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. There's the chance that you're going to have something to celebrate. There's a hell of a lot of teams that you can just forget about it. Yeah. Um, Get down to Buenos Aires or, well, indeed, to Abishaneda at some point and try and get to a game, though, because the um, the atmosphere is good there. I think the roof helps. I always have to point this out because down in Seb always just start going, oh, it's the best atmosphere in the world by a million miles. Uh, the, the roof helps to keep the noise in, but um, it is good. Uh, Vincent says, you may have expected this one, but predictions for River versus Boca? Peter, you go first. I need to think for a um, second. Let me say a 1-1 draw. Yeah, I was tempted to go for that as well, but uh, in the interest of not making two predictions that are identical, I'm going to go for a 2-2 draw. Let's be interesting. And the first super, If that turns out to be marvelous. right, by the way, it would be the first league Super Clásico since uh, March 2014 to go over two and a half goals. Um, so I'm not actually saying I really think it's going to happen, but we're both going for a draw sitting on the fence, basically. Um Bob Roberts asks, is there a weekly Argentine match review show online in either English or Spanish? I'm assuming you mean for high... Oh, that's right, he tweeted me this uh, during the week, in fact, to my own account, and he said sort of a match of the day style thing. I can't think of one. Um, what you might be able to find if you look on YouTube, especially the Football Paratolos channels, they have whole matches there, um, and they also have highlights, edited highlights for some of the games. Um, so you might find something like that, but otherwise... No, there there used to be a decade or more ago. There was football de primera, um, which was the uh, only way that you could see goals unless you were at the game for nearly all of the games before we had football para todos, um, and that was the highlight package. In fact, that got sold around the world to various TV channels as well. I remember on Channel Five they used to show it in the UK at sort of four o'clock on Friday morning the following. I think week. Eurosport do some kind of um, South American okay. TV show. I don't think it shows in depth like every game in Argentina mm-hmm. but I know they do some I can't remember what it's called now but Eurosport do something again online I don't know I'll tell you if you go to my my page and probably see all the goals I, I usually try and get the best possible videos which is not even not particularly easy for the clubs which aren't there golasoargentino.com yep there we go golasoargentino.com which I know that you know how to write Bob because you included Peter in that tweet and it's um it's his handle. Um, so go there and you will find highlights. Don't go to my one because I have not been bothered to put them up for about four or five years now. <laughs> uh, Dan Williamson asks, how much truth is there in these Tevez to China rumours? Um, I, when I first heard them, scoffed and thought, no, that's not going to happen. He's committed to Boca. And increasingly now, with every day that goes past, I'm starting to think there looks like being a little bit more truth than there was yesterday. Uh, everybody now seems on TV and stuff they, they seem fairly certain it's going to happen don't they? 
There's certainly truth to the rumours. I mean, truth in that. And that the Chinese Sh- want him. Yeah. Is it Shanghai Shenhua? Yeah. The, the same. No, they're not the same club that Lavazzi plays for, are they? No. He plays for Hebei 14. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I can remember this stuff. Um, yeah, but there's, there's definitely truth in the fact that they want him and have discussed it with Boca. The president of the of Shanghai said something along the lines of that negotiations aren't going as quickly as he would like, but they are going along. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's sort of been hints at the astronomical amounts of money that they're willing to offer um, Tevez. So with that in mind, I don't think this has been quite the fairy tale return that Tevez had in mind either. Um, not in an international competition for 2017, which is obviously a big blow as well. Uh, is it going to happen? Who knows? But is there truth in it that it could happen? Certainly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's a pleasantly, uh, a, an impressively sitting on the fence kind of reply, whilst also being honest, Peter. So well done. Um, next question is again from Bob Roberts, who says, unless the ball was deflected, wasn't the goal by Tigres Diego Sosa the best of the current Primera season? I've just, whilst Peter was talking, um, been re-watching it on YouTube to see. I don't think it was deflected. It wasn't deflected. It was certainly a stonker. Uh, best of the season? We've had some good ones. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's the goal of the season at this point, but I'd say it was a It was the goal of the weekend. A bloody good strike. Comfortable. Um, so, uh, unless we give it to Emmanuel Insua for that diving header on goal for oh, four this weekend. Um, but otherwise, I mean, oh. no, there was another lovely goal. One of um, his the last, the yeah, the last Cologne's last Cologne goal against Orican. I think I missed this one. It was a beaut. Just, uh, I'm just going to. Watch this live on YouTube whilst, uh, whilst recording it, assuming that we can find some goals rather than just the whole game because that's going to take a while to find it, isn't it? Um, well, I think if you just search for the individual goal, you'll. Here we go. It's a beauty, though. And it's the last goal of the match. Absolutely cut Uragan to shreds. Please just load the page. Oh, come on, internet. My internet is at least working all the way through this weekend, uh, which it wasn't doing. Weekend? Recording, which it wasn't doing last week. It cut out at roughly this point of last weekend's recording. Again, I said weekend. Hello, what's going on? Uh, oh, I saw bits of this game, that's right. Oh, that's very nice, yeah, yeah. Nice move. Yeah, it starts a bit further back. Indeed. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with Sosa, though, still. I think, over that one. Not that it's not good. Um, not this one. No, no, I know it's not this one. It's, it's the I, I rewound the video a little bit for the benefit of it. I'm sure it's fascinating watching people rewatch goals on YouTube in silent. Um, no, no, it's I mean, lovely. But I, I give it to Sosa for this weekend. Yeah, yeah. However, I suspect it's not the best of the season so far. But then again, I don't know what would be because I can't remember them all. Yeah, I can't. When it when there are 15 teams. 15 games per weekend. It's very difficult to remember all the goals each weekend, never mind the, the previous ones. Uh, Les Owens asks, how big of a loss will it be for Lanus losing Miguel Almiron? And Hugh says, is moving to Atlanta as opposed to Europe, Mexico, Brazil a good move 
for Miguel Almiron. I know not whether these two had conspired to tweet those two questions to us within literally a few seconds of each other, um, but that's what that, that's what happened. So let's try and answer them together. Um, in answer to Les's question, I think that it's going to be a significant loss to Lanús, particularly given that Lanús' form as a whole has, has dropped off um, since they won the title in the middle of the year. Um, and I think that has Almiron just started to pick have, up, actually. It has exactly, yeah, yeah. And Almiron's performances individually have also begun to pick up, which is yeah. a bit of a shame that it's at this point that he's now gone. But it's arguably, you know, they're starting to find their feet again, and therefore I kind of think, well, it, it's perhaps the, the bit of the season now where they can most afford to let him go because they're actually, yeah. again, as we say, sort of. Um, uh, they're looking a bit more like themselves again so maybe it won't hurt them as much but then again he's the undisputed star of that team so yeah I mean I think well I think Acosta would probably have something to say about that but um, oh okay yeah but I hear what you're saying and I, th- I think from Lanus's point of view as well at, going to Atlanta is not where what we would have expected however him leaving is mm absolutely expected um, and from an Alanis point of view what the money they got for him is probably do you know how much they got for him? I'm, I'm trying to look it up now million dollars oh wow that's huge and Lanus got all of that did they? no I think set up and then set up okay. then you have 20% that's uh, significant though for, especially for an Argentine club yeah exactly and, yeah. and would would that evaluation have gone up at all I mean, he'd have had to have done something sensational in the second half of the season for that to increase yeah. from what he did in the first half of 2016. Yeah, yeah, agreed. So, Lanús, I think, had no other option. I think the only surprising fact is the fact that he's ended up in the MLS and not in Europe. Yeah, um, which brings us on to Hugh's question. I mean, I think from Almiron's point of view, I don't think it's a bad move. He's he's not as young as say Ascasibar or Barco. Yeah. Um, he's twenty four or so, so he's he, he might you know from his point of view, I think it's the kind of thing where you've got an opportunity to go to um, if he's thinking about security, then 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 a country where it's a little more stable, let's say, than here. Not not that Argentina is astonishingly unsafe. If it were, then Peter and I wouldn't have been here for as long as we have. Um, but you know there's a security thing to think of and also of course with footballers who have very short careers and this is something we always say when when talented players go abroad to to any uh, league they often can't turn it down from a financial point of view Um, I don't know what MLS clubs budgets are like I don't know what the budget is like for Atlanta who of course for the benefit of um, non-American listeners are are one of the expansion teams if I'm not mistaken yeah Um, this is their first season coming up this Coming up, right, that, that, was, that was going to be my question. I, I wasn't sure whether they just started this year or whether they were starting next year. Uh, so I don't know what the budget is like, but I would imagine that he's going to be getting a bit more for them than Lanus are able to pay. Maybe if he was going from, say, River or Boca or one of the big five to an MLS club, I think that I he, think he, he's it might a, be roughly the same wages. But I get the impression that Lanter have shocked people with how much money they've splashed mm. on, on one of their that even that, designated I, players. Um, oh, sorry, that Atlanta. I thought you meant Lanús. Yeah, because, you know, I was going to say a Paraguayan playing in the Argentine league is going to get a bit less money than he would if he was Argentine as well. That's the other thing. Um, so I, I, th- I would imagine he's earning 
a considerable amount in yeah. in the US. And it's the kind of money that you know it can set him up. It can set his family up for. Yeah, and, and also like you said, he's he's not the typical MLS buy, given that he's young and mm. was touted for Euro- a European move. So, in his dream of going to play in Europe, is by no means finished by going to America. No, that's true. He as can well. go yeah. there if he has one outstanding season. You can absolutely be sure that a top team from Europe is going to say, "Well, hang on a second, that guy was on a lot of teams' radars at Lanús when he helped them win yeah. the championship. He's now gone to the MLS and proved equally impressive." It certainly right. looks like a very good signing indeed for Atlanta. For yeah, MLS. I think it's an incredible um, signing, and it's, it, it, it's a promising signing for that for the league that a club's gone out and paid big money on someone who isn't just a big name but he's obviously at the end of his career and nowhere near as good as he is because what they've done in signing Amiron is someone who was perhaps the standout player in Argentina last season Um, and as I said at his age was was being linked to huge clubs in Europe Mm. and they've shown a huge amount of intent to to go out there and sign him and now he links up with Tata Martino and is it a good move for for Amiron? It's, it's perhaps not the move that we were all expecting for him at this stage, but it's not a bad move for him at all from the, in, in, in the terms that he, he would have been considering it. Yeah, I think in theory he could look very, very good in the US. Uh, Alex Di Noia asks, pick five Primera players who you think will go on to make it big in Europe slash La Selección. Ask Asibar. Mm-hmm. I'm getting in there and grabbing it before <laughs> you say it, Peter, while you were swigging your wine. Um, he's one. Um, should we say Barco to be kind to, to yeah I mean he's obviously younger than anyone else that we'll probably mention and less expo- less experience in the first team but mm-hmm. it's certainly in that wonder kid yeah, <laughs> um, definitely bracket um, I would put forward in part because it feels like um, uh a very easy bet because it's already starting to happen. Um, Alario from yeah. River. Um, and Drusi in that case, I mean... Oh, Drusi is, yeah. Drusi is perhaps a little more of a, a less certain bet because he's that a tiny bit younger and he's only really starting to impress now. But yeah, yeah, yeah. there are noises about him moving to Europe as well. Um, so we need one more. Can we say Fernando Gago? Not played for Boca before, or I can't remember <laughs> he's played for Boca before, and he's been very good in these first I think there's a, there's a number of like, good young players that have got a lot to do, but you'll be thinking, okay, they're probably going to be on the mm. thing like Pavon, um, has done really that's, well that's this season. That's sensible and you'd uh, say, suggestion for Boca than Michael um, was. And then like uh, uh, Jose Luis Gomez, the, mm. the right back at Lanús, was great oh, last season. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you know, that's a position as well, which Argentina are not blessed, whereas I guess yeah. someone like Luis is going to have a huge amount of competition for the next... Mm. however many years whereas if the full, any decent young fullbacks push on a bit and they could actually be in serious consideration for the national team for sure and in fact Gomez is a really good um, good shout I think I can see him yeah, I mean, somewhere not, like Italy I, I, it hasn't quite been as good as he was last season when Lanús won the championship um, but, but none was, of them have this yeah, is the no, thing we were just saying but he was absolutely out, outstanding um, when Lanús did win the league um, and he was also one of the few players I think that came out of the Olympic squad with any kind of credit him and Askasiba yeah um, so I, I mean I would have thought European teams would be looking at him quite seriously um, 
and as a result, given that he's a fullback, Argentina as well. Indeed. Uh, Liam Kelly, um, who is no relation to me, says, good on Conmebol for awarding Chapecoense in the Copa Sudamericana. Atletico Nacional didn't need it. Um, not only that, Atletico Nacional actually asked Conmebol to, to give it to Chapecoense, and that was um, Conmebol's stated reason for doing so, was that Atletico Nacional wanted them to. Uh, I think otherwise Conmebol would probably have just said that the final was never going to be played and they wouldn't have awarded it to anyone. Um, Liam also says, Mexican teams not in the Libertadores next year. Is there any idea where the vacated berths are going? The answer to that is not at the moment. Unusually, given that we're already a week into December, um, we haven't yet had, as far as I'm aware, the annual farce slash comedy show which is the Copa Libertadores draw which is normally one of my favourite things to watch because it involves a lot of very old confused looking men in suits just picking out numbered balls to reveal things like Bolivia 3 will be in the same group as Peru 2 River Plate and Brazil 5 or something like this just check Um, um, they appear to actually be waiting until all the teams have been decided before doing the draw this year which is really disappointing and that's when they're going to agree, as far as I'm aware, um, where those extra bursts are going to be made up from. They, so they I saw have some confirmed... tweets about it today, though, so I wasn't sure. Oh, re- today? Yeah. So, right, this is where I um, get carried away with myself, because I'm not actually yeah, I, very much today. It may have just been tweets, because I was like not paying any attention to, to news today. But um... Hang on a second. Um... But as far as I'm aware, anyway, before today, they hadn't confirmed actually what was going to happen with um, those extra ones. They had confirmed that it wasn't going to be for the Argentine League because mm. I think it might have been Boca or it might have been Racing would have been the next team down. To, oh, it was Independiente, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It would have been the next team down after Atletico Tucumán to qualify yeah. if they'd said it was. And that was confirmed like two or three weeks ago. They said, no, it's not going to be. Argentina isn't going to get one of these extra places. Um, oh, look at that. 11 hours ago. Let's see. According to La Voz del Interior, an Argentine news website, says the three places that the Mexican sides left vacant after desisting to participate, I'm translating as I go along word for word here, so bear with me, in the Copa Libertadores 2007, um, because of, yeah, blah, blah, we know all that, thank you very much indeed, um, will not be in any... Uh, case for Argentine clubs, they will be fought out between representatives from between clubs from Bolivia, Ecuador, Paraguay, Peru, Uruguay and Venezuela, according to what was agreed this Wednesday by Conmebol um, at the end of a meeting of the Executive Committee which was celebrated in Asuncion. Um, Spanish is such a beautiful language. Uh, so it seems like they're going to add in a couple of... Ah, there we go, yeah. So Fase Previas. In other words, a pre-qualification phase. So they're going to add in one of those and get it's three extra teams very, um, in that way. It's all getting very Champions League. It is, isn't it? I don't like it, Peter. I don't <laughs> like it one bit. Um, so that's the answer, Liam. Uh, they'll be going to a bunch of, of teams from... Um, which, which countries did we say? Bolivia... Uruguay, Ecuador. Lost, oh, bloody hell, I've lost the list now. I've yeah, that's it, isn't it? Well done. Bolivia, Ecuador, Paraguay, Peru, Uruguay, Venezuela. So not Argentina, not Brazil, not Colombia, not Chile. The other ones, basically. So they're, I guess, in inverted commas, smaller. Although 
Uruguay are there, so we can't really call yeah. them small. Um, football yeah, they've sneaked on there, really. Demographically <laughs> small. The, 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 the countries which, which send fewest teams to the, to the, the competition as a whole. Um, Liam also says, not confident on Sunday. Um, I'll just back up a second and explain to people who aren't aware that Liam is a River sympathiser. Um, he says, not confident on Sunday. I think Boca will edge it 1-0, although it pains me to say it. River will have one eye on the cup final next week, which, yes, I think you're quite right, they will. Uh, the cup final is going to be played next week, as Liam says, on Thursday? Is it Thursday? should have checked this before, shouldn't I? Fortunately, it's very easy to check because it will already be on the Copa Argentina's excellent and always fully up-to-date website. Uh, it's being played, yes, it's next Thursday, which means that we're going to be recording, presumably, next Wednesday. And that might be the first time since the Copa Argentina was reborn that we won't be recording during the final. Because I seem to remember all the previous ones were either on Wednesdays when we were recording or we had to record on Thursday for some reason and uh, ended up recording during it anyway. So next week's Pod will be a Copa Argentina final preview of sorts. Um, perhaps if I'm assuming Andres and I can be bothered with it. Um, I've just realised I didn't ask anybody at all to do the mystical previews this week. Peter, do you want to give them a go off the top of your head? Uh, or would you like me to do them? Oh, I can, well, we can ba- you can both offer our opinions if you want. Here we go then. Right, so what you're about to hear after this brief piece of theme music, and I apologise for burping a second ago, that comes across <laughs> on the recording whilst I was talking. Uh, what you're about to hear are Mystic Sam and Peter's predictions for the weekend ahead. Don't go anywhere. Okay, Peter's done his predictions... Sort of already, yeah, but he's doing these from memory, and I'm going to interject and argue. So, what we're going to put up on the Hand of Pod blog, handofpod.wordpress.com, where I always put up the mystical predictions, um, is going to be my best um, compromise, let's say, of what me and Peter come up with for each game. So, That's here we good. go. First game Aldo Civi against Patronato. Draw. I would agree with that. So, we're going, and I apologize for the clicking, but this is me noting down what we say for each. Um, each result Sarmiento against Tigre I'm, I'm thinking see Tigre scored a really good goal at the weekend but they also lost 3-1 and were not very good 2-1 no no they drew one did they oh you're right of course yeah I was, yeah. I was getting a bit confused with Oracle um, but Sarmiento have suddenly picked up yeah true I mean I can't remember what I said I think I might have finished Sarmiento we're going for Sarmiento to win that one Tempele against Godoy Cruz, that looks like a game to not bother watching. Yeah, I think I said a 10 point win. You reckon? Okay. I think Godoy Cruz have only won one point away from home this whole season. They've not won away in absolutely years. They won that last minute penalty last two weeks ago was their first point away from home. So, if you thought that last game was one not to watch, then really don't bother turning (laughs) the television on for this. Fuck me. Uh, First game on Saturday afternoon: Vélez Sarsfield against Atlético de Rafaela. Good. God, there are going to be no goals scored if that game goes on for about seven hours. Um, I'm overruling if you want to say one of them's going to win, Peter. I'm going for a draw there. Yeah, I've, I've got a sneaky suspicion that Bella's going to, going to just nick it by one goal. I'm, I'm not. It's going down <laughs> for us as, as, as a draw. And I, the main prediction is going to be that there are going to be not only fewer than 2.5 goals in that game, but possibly fewer than zero goals. Um, at the same time, a significantly more interesting-looking match, Tacheres against Newells. I think that's equally going to be few goals, but be a lot more interesting to yeah. watch. Um, but it, 
could could well be it. I wouldn't be that surprised if that was a Carlos draw itself, but if either side was going to edge it, I would give it to Tashiris. Okay, we're going. Really? Are we going to call it? Yeah. Let's stick our necks out. We're going to call it a Tashiris win. Um, San Lorenzo against Union, which is also 5 o'clock on Saturday. That has to be a San Lorenzo yeah. win, surely. Home well, win. I know we've been saying this for the last three weeks, but it has to, right? Yep. Gimnasia y Grima La Plata against Belgrano de Córdoba. I mean, they're both in pretty mm. awful league form. Yeah. But in La Plata, Belgrano have been appalling and the lowest scorers in the league. They've only scored five goals all season. I think I can see where this is going. I'm going for Belgrano win. Racing to beat Olimpo in El Cilindro, surely. Without question. Um, River versus Boca. Well, we've both already said draw for yeah. that one, so that's what's going down on the predictions. Banfield against Huracan on Sunday. Well, unless uh, Nestor Apuso, is he, he's in charge now, isn't he, for like two games is, in yeah. Huracan? Unless he has an absolutely amazing effect, that's a home win. Which means it'll definitely be an Huracan win. Um, yeah, I should put out my, my predictions are absolutely yeah. atrocious. Uh, Colón versus Independiente. Peter, I'm going to let you predict this one on your own. Draw. I just I think that's very... Brave from an Independiente fan. A goalless draw because Colón basically just keep clean sheets and look to win one nil. Indeed, and Independiente. I suspect that means they're going to win one nil. To be honest, but um, no, I mean if if either team are going to win one nil, that I wouldn't be that surprised if it was nil nil. San Martín against Estudiantes. Can Estudiantes pick up three points at last? Yeah, after the drought that they're currently experiencing. Of yeah, I think I think they will. Uh, this leaves us with three more games. There's one on Sunday night at 8 o'clock, Argentine time, 10 o'clock UK time. You're two hours ahead of us if you're in the UK. Or two hours... No, sorry, no, you're not. That's bollocks. Three hours three ahead hours. of us in the UK. Uh, two hours behind us if you're in the eastern seaboard of the US. Um, Rosario Central against Lanús six months ago. That would have seemed like a thrilling match. And this time round... I'm so, not looking at it and thinking, no, I don't want to watch it at all. But it's not as enticing somehow. And Central will certainly have eyes on next week's exactly. final. It's got to be a Lanús win, I think, doesn't it? Given Lanús' current form and the fact yeah. that Central are going to be below strength as a result of that. Uh, Atletico Tucumán against Kil... Oh, bloody hell, quarter past nine on Sunday. Why are they playing that late? I thought this there was an end to this work of the devil, nine-something nine p.m. kickoffs. We've got one for some reason, according to Universal Football, anyway. I might be wrong. Um, well, I thought there was... Atletico Tucumán versus yeah. Quilmes. Uh, home win. Yeah, you reckon? Okay. I can't quite remember that. I haven't done the preview for that one, so I haven't looked into the... Uh... I'd be tempted to go for a Quilmes win, personally, but... No, they lost at home, didn't they? They lost at home 3-1 against Sarmiento last week. Doesn't fill me with confidence. Oh, True. Uh, Defensa Justicia versus Arsenal de Sarandí to close the weekend. What do we Defensa think? to win. Has to be, doesn't it? Purely because they're playing Arsenal rather than through any... Yeah, no, and I was quite surprised. They were one of the people that, as as always, went against what I predicted. I predicted they would lose last weekend away to Atletico de Rafael, and then they went and won. That'll teach you to try and predict results, Peter. Yeah, no. uh, <laughs> this season, that invariably, has happened. Indeed. It, it, it often does. Somebody who did it for years, trust me, it's, there's nothing to feel any guilt in um, when it comes to uh, getting embarrassed by the teams who end up just 
not playing the way no. that they should do. Um, I think that that is all that we have to cover for this week. It's been a, ooh, yeah, after a series of fairly short recent podcasts, this one's been a slightly longer one. Um, thank you very much indeed, everybody, for listening. Uh, Peter is off now because we started recording quite late and it's now 20 past 10. I'm sure your girlfriend's wondering where you are. Um, oh, I've got to try and brave the traffic and get back and get that. I'm sure it won't be too bad no, at this time of night now compared with what it was when you were trying to get over here. Uh, but thank you very much indeed to everybody for listening. Please, as ever, tell your friends. Please enjoy all of the football that you watched this weekend. Try and enjoy the Super Classical. Please, if you find it a really underwhelming, uh, boring match don't tweet in to me or Peter to tell us that it's really underwhelming and boring because we know we've just told you so don't um, don't complain to us for it um, we always get a, every single super classic or somebody goes I've never watched Argentine football before it's fucking rubbish why do you do this and, well you've chosen the worst game to watch but anyway um, enjoy the football we're always positive about it here uh, and for now it's goodbye and thank you very much from Peter goodbye thanks for having me and from me, goodbye, and thanks for having me in your ears. <laughs>